welcome to Dreams Recycle podcast. Today we have Michelle Lawless, who is a partner and family law attorney at Schiller, Ducanto and Fleck in Chicago. So welcome, Michelle. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. We love talking to all different people in the divorce industry, you know, because everyone has some kind of information <laughs> that our audience obviously is looking for. And so um, today we're going to talk about mediation. Sure. And so mediation is obviously quite popular now in family law. So can you explain kind of how that works for the average person that maybe not knows exactly what happens? Sure. Um, kind of the, the first thing, which I'm sure you've covered on your podcast before, is that family law is a state-based area of law. So every state will have individual laws that apply to them. So I'm in Chicago, so I'm in Illinois. And in Illinois, we have um, some requirements that parents must attend parenting mediation before they can file um, contested motions regarding custody of their children, except on emergency bases. So um, before you kind of go full forward with a custody battle, you must um, attend mediation and show a good faith effort to try to resolve your custody issues. So and that's, that's usually usually in person, right? I mean, if it yes. wasn't COVID right now, that yes, would be right. We are yeah, recording this in COVID yeah. <laughs> in our COVID quarantine state. But um, yes, normally outside of this really um, unprecedented time that we're dealing with, normally mediation happens um, in person. And so the tenet of mediation is that the parties are going to sit down. Um, either with counsel or by themselves, um, but in either way with a mediator who is a neutral. And that mediator's job is to facilitate a conversation to see if the parties can come to an agreement um, on, some, on some very difficult, difficult issues. And, you know, uh, it, there's various types of mediations. There's attorney-assisted mediation where the lawyers come with the clients um, and give legal advice and advise. And then there's mediation where the parties just attend mediation with a mediator uh, without attorneys. But that's kind of just a broad overview of, of how it would work. Okay, so if, if, for example, I'm getting divorced, so I hire you, Michelle, as my attorney, somebody else, you're my ex hires their attorney, and then we show up to mediation, so there'll be five people in the room, right? Us with our attorneys and the mediator, and the mediator is neutral, I take it. Correct. The mediator, um, I think one of the biggest things that, that people, um, not that they don't understand, but it's kind of a difficult concept to grasp, is that the mediator um, is not a judge. Um, you know, you have your traditional litigation case where you have the two parties and the two lawyers and you appear before a judge and that judge rules, that judge makes decisions. And the attorney's role in that type of context is to argue their client's best case and the judge rules. Completely different scenario in mediation. The mediator has no decision-making authority. The mediator is not going to um, tell someone that they must do something. It's not a um, informal court order. The mediator is just there to help facilitate a discussion and see if they can move the parties 
closer together. So sometimes we see in mediation that people are always kind of like, well, I really, the mediator's got to believe my story. The mediator's got to kind of like buy into it. Um, the mediator's opinions don't really matter um, in the sense that they are not going to dispense justice, quote unquote, like a, like a judge would. Now, there are different types of mediations, um, at least here in Illinois, um, especially in Cook County, you can elect into what we call a valiative mediation where you can actually agree, all of this is by agreement, you could agree that a mediator could make a, a recommendation. Um, but, you know, that's a, that's a different type of mediation and usually it's done in a different context. So what's the benefit? So what's the benefit of both having an attorney and then going with the mediator and trying to figure that out first? Sure. One of the biggest benefits of having the lawyers in the room is that when mediation ends, you, you hopefully will have a memorandum of understanding, which is the four corners of the agreement. But that agreement needs to be turned into a formal settlement agreement, which will be the actual document that is incorporated into a judgment. So, the, so you don't walk out of mediation with a final work product that can be submitted to the court. So the lawyers have to draft that document. And in my experience, if the lawyers are in the room and the lawyers see how the agreement came about and are part of that process, the drafting goes much quicker, much smoother, and there's a lot less kind of back and forth. Well, what did this mean? What does this mean in the memorandum of understanding? Well, how would that work? Did you guys talk about this? Because what about this scenario? Um, hopefully that all happens in the room with the lawyers present. So when you go back to draft, the drafting theoretically should be pretty quick. Well, that's obviously very good information and I agree with that. But um, the thing that I remember about my mediation is having the lawyers in the, in the room also acted as a buffer between the two parties. And so, you know, I don't think my <laughs> divorce is much different than a lot of people. You know, you may not actually want to kind of talk one-on-one -on -one to your ex, especially not freely. So you feel like if you have a lawyer that you trust, you can advocate for you in that setting. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a, I think a lot of clients, uh, depending upon who you are, I mean, there are some people I think that um, if there's an imbalance of power in particular in a, in a certain situation, one way or the other, one party may not want the lawyers in the room because they may feel that that's a tactical advantage that they have. Is that, that a red flag, by the way? Well, it's, here's why I say it's a bad idea, and I will tell people it's a bad idea when I'm on both sides of the table, because mediation is completely voluntary, and it is non-binding, and until you have a signed document, it is not impossible for someone to get out of an agreement. So if you play through that scenario where there's a power imbalance and someone walks in without an attorney and they agree, they agree, they agree. 
and they leave and then they go talk to their attorney. They're feeling really poorly about the decisions they made. They may have made them just to get out of the room because it was so uncomfortable that they simply did not want to sit there anymore and look at their soon to be ex and they just wanted out. And agreeing was a way to end the session because when you agree, the session comes to an end. So that person can pretty easily not be forced to sign, you know, the, the written document. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of time you don't settle in mediation, right? Correct. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happens in that situation? Well, now you've got someone who is backing out of, a, of an agreement that one party thought that they entered into. So you've got one party who's upset that they agreed to something and you have another party who's now very mad because they feel like the other party kind of reneged on an agreement. Well, the, the, what really happened in that room was there wasn't really a mutual meeting of the minds. There wasn't really an agreement. Someone was agreeing to get out of the room. So I would probably say you're worse off in that situation trying to put the, the agreement back together, come to the table because someone is mad that they're back in the room and, so, and now the other person is feeling very defeated, deflated, and you know probably just kind of like, what am I gonna do now? I should have never gone into that room you know, without having someone there you know, to, to help me. So that was a really long answer to the question <laughs> that you asked, but that's, that's kind of what I see. If people don't wanna pay for lawyers to be in the room, I always encourage people to kind of, for that day, have me on speed dial. Um, and just, you know, you can always ask a mediator to step out of the room. Remember, it's voluntary. You are there, you know, voluntarily um, and call. And if you're getting ready to agree to something and you're really not sure, you know, give, give your attorney a call. Tell your attorney you really just need to talk to them. Um, you know, and some, some mediators have these kind of marathon sessions where you go all day and other mediators kind of break things up in chunks. So if you're doing them in smaller chunks of time and the lawyers aren't in the room, that does give the, the party who feels they needed the, the advice, the opportunity to kind of regroup with their attorney in yeah. between sessions. Well, and it's a lot, right? It's a lot to, you know, with all the emotions and all the, um, you know, and, and as a lay person, you don't know the laws, right? So you might be agreeing to something that you actually don't even have to agree to or agreeing right. to something that you don't really understand what you're agreeing to. Because, right. you know, not all the areas are really complex, but some of it is kind of complex. Right. And especially if you have a complicated um, estate financially, sometimes things will just, people can't even understand through no fault of their own. I mean, you know, I sometimes I have clients that'll say, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know this. And I usually say to them, well, why would you know this? Like, why is, why, why would you know this about your spouse's business? There was no reason for you to know that. Um, and that's cool. why you pay your experts to help you navigate that situation. No, and it's the, it's the kind of, 
adage that you don't know until you have to know, right? right. I think we're all we're all guilty of that, you know, whether it's our children's homework that we don't want to know how <laughs> to do that math until you have to know it, or whether right. it's divorce. I and mean, you don't go through a marriage going, hmm, let me look up divorce laws and see what happens. That. that would be, that would, that would be crazy yeah. if people did that. Yeah, so we have to cut ourselves some slack as lay people and obviously rely on the professionals like you to help us through these difficult times. And so my next question for you is, with all this stuff going on with COVID, I've seen obviously a big shift, like you were working, I presume, most of it now is video conferencing. Right. Do you after all this is over that people are gonna be able to request video conferencing for mediation and hearings and stuff just because they don't wanna go? Well, so that's kind of the number one question that's being discussed amongst the, the legal professionals right now. In fact, I was on a conference call earlier today and we, we had a discussion about this. I honestly, I don't know with respect to, because family law is so um, state by state based, you know, I don't see a situation, at least where I practice, that we are going to go to a forum where you can elect to appear electronically um, in, the, in, the, in the near future, at least. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that is probably going to happen. I do, what I do think um, is that COVID has really pushed the legal profession um, to have to adapt in ways possibly that we have never had to adapt before. Which is a good thing, maybe. Um, it is a good thing, because I think everyone everyone knows that the legal profession moves very slow. We're, you know, we're not quick to adapt to technology for a variety of, of reasons. We're very heavily regulated is, is one of the reasons. But what we have been forced to do is utilize technology, whether it's video conferencing, um, you know, electronic file sharing, you know, a lot of, you know, things that probably wouldn't have happened but for COVID. And mediators, at least in the community where I practice, have made themselves very available by video conference. We are starting, um, you know, our, our judges here in Cook County are really, we, we have a very, very large complex court system and it is very difficult to get you know, hundreds of judges on one page, but our judges are trying to do as much as they can remotely. And um, it is working, you know, it's kind of steering an aircraft carrier, but it is starting to work. And so there may be something in the future where you have the ability to appear electronically, um, especially for people that can't appear. I think, you know, sometimes with our calendars and everything or people's disabilities or their work schedules, you know, sometimes getting someone physically to a courthouse can be really difficult. So this may, I'm not sure that it will, but it may open up the door to some institutions being a little bit more flexible because now, you know, kind of once you get the technology up and running and you know how to use it, if someone requests it, it's not kind of like, oh my gosh, how in the world am I going to get like this hooked up? And how does a hearing with evidence work remotely? You know, we're, we have to do it now. So we're learning. Yeah, I would imagine, I mean, I don't know, but I would imagine it would be a good thing moving forward, you know, for maybe emergency hearings, 
or like you said, disability, or you're out of state, one of you is, you know, it's it's sometimes difficult to get wherever you're supposed to be in a lot of time, right? Absolutely, yes, for sure. Okay, and so what's happening now? So you are doing everything through video conferencing, you're doing hearings and everything? Yes, everything is video conferencing now. Um, I have a, a couple of mediation cases that we're mediating electronically, um, I have a collaborative case that we are completely 100% doing via video conference. Hearings are happening by video conference. Um, we call them prove-ups here in Illinois. That's the day that you actually go to court and get divorced. So even if you settle your case in mediation, you still have to appear in front of a judge and have the judge enter the judgment. Um, those, some judges are doing those remotely and, and both parties are appearing via video conference and there's a court reporter, you know, on, on the line. So, you know, they're taking down the testimony. So, um, yeah, that's, it's, everything is remote. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, I think, for now anyway, that we may yes. work as a country trying to figure it all out. So, so what would you say, um, as far as like if you're a regular person and you're in this situation, you're going to find a lawyer and you're trying to figure out should you use a regular lawyer, a collaborative lawyer or a mediator or a mixture of all of those, how do you really advise people they make that choice? So usually when people come in and see me for an initial consultation, what we do is talk about their situation. So I wanna get a lay of the land with them. You know, do they have children? How many children do they have? What are their ages? What is everyone's employment situation? And then talk through in a very kind of honest and compassionate way, what is, what is going on in the marriage and how do you see yourself proceeding with a divorce? And you know, you try to kind of figure out with people, is this something that both people are gonna to come to the table and want to try to, to resolve this? Um, are there cost considerations? Are there domestic violence issues that are going on that we need to screen for and be aware of? Um, is, you know, so I think it's kind of hard to answer generally, but it's a very personal decision. And if two people are not on the same page and one person isn't willing to kind of sit down at the table or they're too hurt or they're not ready or there's something else going on, we kind of really have to talk through, is it possible to get them to the table or does uh, that party need to file in court in order to, to proceed? So I think that's, that's one of, I usually tell clients, your divorce is gonna be hard, but maybe some of the biggest decisions that you make are in the beginning. And one is what process are you gonna undergo? And mm -hmm. also, you know, who you hire as your attorney um, is also extremely important. Um, Absolutely, who, are, who you hire can ruin you for the rest of your life or and your spouse for the rest of your life yeah so yeah so those are unfortunately you can't control who your spouse hires they they have the ability to go hire whatever attorney they want mm -hmm. um but th those are some of the conversations that we have and a lot of times people will immediately think like oh this is the route that i have to go uh and then when you continue to talk to them maybe a couple of different routes may open up as 
as possibilities or, you know, need consideration. Because uh, not everything is cut and dry. It's, you know, especially in the beginning when people are hurt, um, they can't really see how this is going to work out. Um, so giving them information is really, you know, critical. Well, and I think what you said earlier that, you know, inequality of power is a big play for a lot of marriages, right? I mean, we it's just a huge factor. Yeah, no matter what kind of couple, I always kind of equate it to every two humans together have some kind of chemical reaction, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Together, there's always a dynamic. And I think that that's a really important part of that puzzle on what lawyer to pick and what process to pick is you really have to think about what kind of dynamic you have. And sometimes people don't really know what dynamic they have. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good so, point. That's a really good point. And sometimes the dynamic shifts in a divorce case. Because if you have um, one parent who is in the home and one parent who works, there may be a power imbalance on both, both areas because one parent may not be as involved in the parenting. And that, that can be a very fearful situation as well for, for one parent to feel that because they don't know all of the parenting things that go on every day that they're going to you know, somehow lose their children. Yeah, no, and that's that's an awful feeling for anyone, isn't it? Yes, it's so so. Yeah, so the power imbalance comes in in different forms, and it can evolve through a case. And you know, that's some some of the the interesting things about you know practicing in this area is seeing how sometimes cases start off one way and they end up a, a way that you know you, you kind of see people evolve and change over time and. Um, it's, it's really interesting sometimes. Yeah, no, I've seen that with the people we work for. So you see that kind of shift in them where they take back their power a lot of times. Right. Maybe they were the person that was, you know, passive and walked over and part with it and took it and whatever. And especially if they find a, you know, attorney or a legal professional that they really, you know, kind of gel with and they feel comfortable letting them lead for them, that can be a big shift. I've seen it's that. Just, yeah. Which, yeah. which is actually a good thing, probably moving forward for them in life. Well, and it helps resolve the case, too, mm -hmm. when someone feels com comfortable enough to kind of stand in their own shoes and make a decision. Um, that's good for moving the case along, because if someone is kind of stuck and you can't move them along, um, we have a saying that the case moves as fast as the slowest person moves because it's really hard to mm -hmm. you know pull someone along and court takes so long that if someone wants to kind of slow things down sometimes court is the best place to be to slow things down so well, well and they use that as a power play right they sometimes very much it can be used as a power play yes yeah, yeah i've seen that so the uh so what would you say to people? So I work with a lot of people, obviously divorcees, different end of them than you work with, not the legal end. And I see that in their personality, like people are not ready. And I feel awful because I feel like everyone has a time and a place and agenda and healing is on your own terms, right? right. When you're ready to forgive, you're ready to let go, you're ready to move forward. This is all things that are kind of really in your head and in your heart that right. you can't dictate. 
but but what would you say to those people that are really struggling to kind of wrap it up because they don't really want to let go well i think um there's a couple of things i think that one thing is people that are really struggling with the 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 whole idea of divorce um and usually they stereotypically may be the person that didn't want it and may felt may feel like they got blindsided the the most important thing for them to have is support just support around them and that can come in a lot of different forms um i you know we um we see this in a lot in a lot of different aspects but i think it's really important for people to have a good um counselor a good therapist um maybe a divorce coach someone who can a, a divorce coach is not a therapist a divorce coach is someone who can help them work through the divorce process and so i have divorce coaches that sometimes sit in meetings and literally are there to support the person either in a mediation or a settlement meeting and can talk to them one-on-one -on -one and kind of in a very nice and sometimes clinical mental health professional way that lawyers are not equipped we're not trained for you know to give mental health advice help that don't have time right as a lawyer you don't have time well we don't have time but it's also not our wheelhouse mm -hmm. you know um i've learned a lot from working with a lot of therapists over the years i know just enough to be dangerous but that's not my you know, area of expertise. Um, but if you have a relationship with a good therapist or a good coach, th that can extend beyond the case. You know, you want your divorce attorney out of your life as quickly as possible. A, you want to stop paying us, but B, I don't find that people necessarily want to remember fondly this, you know, time, time in their life, but a mental health professional can stay with you and support you past the process. In addition, I think having, um, building your team while you're getting divorced, in, in addition, you know, having your, um, if you need an accountant, getting that, that accountant, you know, lined up and ready to go, getting a financial expert planner, you know, mm -hmm. someone who's gonna be able to help you transition into new, your, your new life. Those little things start to add up over time because, you start to lay the seeds, plant the seeds in terms of, okay, when this is all over, I am not going to just be flailing about on my own. You may be emotionally in a really bad place, but if you have a good therapist, you've got a good support network with friends and family, and you've got your people lined up that are gonna check in with you and say, all right, we got to make a quarterly tax payment. We've got to, you know, sit down and do your annual plan. That takes some stress off of the individual um, because the mental strain, I think, sometimes of realizing I now have to do all this on my own. Yeah, because we're not used to it, right? Usually, exactly. I always explain to people, marriage is kind of like you sit across from each other at the table and there's a big pile of responsibilities in the middle and you both take the ones you're better at, right? Right. So one takes finances, one takes insurance, one takes childcare, one takes dinner, one takes whatever. And at the end of it, you both have to realize that you both have to do all of it. Right. 
Right. And so it can be overwhelming to think like all, all of a sudden now you feel like you're kind of on your own and you have to do everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, that's what I try to do is make sure my clients that are really, you know, not happy that they're going through a divorce. Um, the other thing is you need to give people space. You need to give people time and you need to let people have the emotions that they're having because right. trying to just as a lawyer push through some of those sometimes it's necessary if you're in litigation you have court deadlines and you you know you have to to meet them but when at all possible it's important for people to be able to kind of process in their in their own way and sometimes you know those are the people that come out the strongest yeah, yeah. To be I, I think that's true and that's a lovely positive way to look at it right right but yeah I mean I've seen some real I've seen some transformations in the 20 years I've done this where people have come in and you know been a shell of themselves and then by the end they're a completely different person just because they feel that they've taken back their life in some way and um, that's a that's a really great thing to be able to see people kind of come out you know the end um, a different person right and a stronger person which is awesome yeah we always say a divorce is forever and so you have to be really really careful and so maybe the last thing I'm going to ask you I think for today is so how do you know when you've made a good settlement right because divorce is forever it's very hard afterwards to change not you know child support and things like that but change what you fundamentally agreed to in your divorce settlement so how do you know when it's time to settle or when you've done good, basically? Well, I have two answers. So I'll give, I'll give the first answer, which is a little quippy, but it's something a judge told me a long time ago. And they said, uh, a good settlement is where everyone is unhappy because that means that everyone gave a little bit more than they thought they should, which means the other party got somewhere a little bit more than they thought they should. And if everyone is unhappy, it's a good, it's a good settlement. So that's my quippy answer. But if I'm counseling someone, you know, there's a, a variety of different things to look at. You, in family law, you always look at what you could get in court as the backdrop to whether or not the settlement is good. That's kind of just the ground zero to know, you know, if you should make a decision or not. In family law, there are ranges because the courts have so much discretion on a variety of both financial and custody issues. So I usually, when I have clients evaluate settlement proposals when they're coming in, the first thing you look at and say, is this in the range of what a court could rule? Like, is this a possibility? And if you're within the range, then it's probably worth kind of pushing forward and seeing if you can find some type of settlement. Um, another way to look at it is if a client has some, you know, pretty heavy top line priorities, like this is the most important thing, whatever it is, this much parenting time with your children, um, a spousal support number, a property settlement number, if there is a high priority of um, desire for one particular thing, you have to talk through with a client and say, well, what is it that you're willing to give up for this? And then you can kind of flush out, like how, how much of a priority is that really? Keeping the house is a big one. 
for a lot of people. I've got to keep the house. I can't lose the house. Um, you know, I could do a whole podcast on just the house and the financial implications of keeping the house. But sometimes, you know, people think I, I kept the house. I got the house. This is what I wanted. It's, it's a good settlement. Um, it can be, you know, um, so prioritizing and, and looking at ranges, I think, is, is oftentimes how we look at the uh, settlement agreements when they're going back and forth. No, and I think that's excellent what you said. Everyone leaves a little unhappy is probably honestly best case scenario because, you know, divorce, obviously there's not a lot of wins come out of it. Correct. You know, yeah. the wins that come out of it are much more on your next portion of your life, what you can recreate from that or recycle it, as we said. Right. right. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that that's really what, what we can do. But it all starts with finding a good lawyer, a good mediator, whoever you're going to use and understanding what you're using and how you're using it and how it will benefit you moving forward. Yes, absolutely. Understanding and having knowledge is, makes everyone feel a little bit better, I think, about the process. Okay, well, thank you so much, Michelle. You have been wonderful. Thank you. Um, thank you for being a guest. And so where can people find you? So I, um, on social media, I hang out most of the time on LinkedIn. So you can find me, Michelle A. Lawless, on LinkedIn. That's the best way to connect with me. Okay, awesome. And you will have the links to her other, to Michelle's other social media and website will be on the notes for this podcast, which you will see everywhere. So thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. I really appreciate talking to your listeners today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.